Inspired by the life and legacy of Rachel Scott, Rachel's challenge has brought hope to over 25 million people. I have this theory that if one person can go out of their way to show compassion, then it will start a chain reaction of the same. People will never know how far a little kindness can go. Every year, hundreds of suicides are averted and bullying and violence decrease as students accept the challenge to bring kindness and compassion to their schools and communities. This podcast exists to continue Rachel's chain reaction of kindness and compassion by hearing from incredible people who are doing inspirational work to make this world a better place. Hey everyone, welcome to the Rachel's Challenge podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzera, and I'm so thankful that you joined us today. I trust that you are doing incredible work spreading kindness and compassion wherever you are. This week, we have a real special treat on the show because our guest today on the Rachel's Challenge podcast is Rachel's youngest brother, Michael Scott. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for taking the time out of your schedule to be with me today on the podcast. It's a true honor. For anyone who hasn't heard from you or met you personally, why don't you just begin by sharing a little bit about who you are? Yeah, I'm Mike Scott, and um, I'm actually Rachel Joy Scott's youngest brother, um, youngest of uh, five in the family. Rachel was the middle child, and she was about three years older than me. And I work at Rachel's Challenge. We are reaching schools, reaching kids all across mostly America, but all over the world as well. And we love sharing uh, Rachel's story with whoever we can. Mike, do you mind just sharing with us from your perspective what you experienced and what happened during that tragic day in Littleton, Colorado? Well, that day is, to be perfectly honest, it's kind of a blur. I mean, it was so just crazy. I was in middle school at the time at Kin Carroll, which is just a few miles away from Columbine. And when it happened, I was in class and we got the news. Our teacher put on the TV and school kind of stopped. And we also went on lockdown. So we were stuck in our classrooms and we were watching the TV. And, um, you know, honestly, at that time, I was kind of feeling like, you know, there's 2,000 kids in this school. What are the odds? What are the chances that my brother or my sister who were there would, would be involved? And I honestly wasn't incredibly worried. I was just like, I mean, obviously what was happening was terrible and I was, everybody was concerned, but it, it's not something I ever imagined that, you know, one of my siblings would be would be involved so i had full confidence that they had gotten out and that everything was going to be fine and i just was choosing not to be worried about it and when all that was going on the school was on lockdown so we couldn't leave unless a family member came to pick us up and my sister and my brother came to pick me up at school and the first thing I noticed is my brother had some blood on his shirt. At that time, I just don't think I was old enough to comprehend like what that meant, what really had happened. You know, it was hard for me to grasp all that. We went home. My parents were both searching. They weren't there at the house. They were searching for Rachel at the nearby elementary schools, all the places where they were dropping off kids from Columbine. And um, honestly, I was still believing, even though, Rachel, we hadn't heard from her, I'm still just believing that she was going to call in, that she was, was safe with friends, she was somewhere, 
you know, she was going to be okay. And people started coming over to our house. We had family coming over, a lot of phone calls, a lot of things happening. And uh, like I said, a lot of it's still a blur to me. And eventually my mom came home and everybody was crying. It was just so surreal. And, you know, as a still a young boy, I, I couldn't fully, couldn't fully just take in everything that was happening. And I was still believing, but eventually, you know, it got to be about six, seven o'clock at night and still not hearing from Rachel. We all just kind of assumed that, you know, she might be gone. And we didn't actually get word from the sheriff's department until the next morning, you know, confirmation that it was her. But for the rest of that day, it was just, again, like it was so surreal for me. I didn't even know how to handle it. I didn't know what to do, and I still couldn't believe that Rachel could be gone yet. And that didn't really hit me until her funeral, honestly, where it really, really hit deep for me. But so the whole thing was just, it was chaos. There was media coming to our door. There was people in and out. I can't even remember who came and who went. Just, just chaos, honestly, is how I would describe that day. Yeah, I remember speaking with your uncle, Larry, who is also part of Rachel's Challenge and had kids at Columbine that day as well. I remember hearing from him how challenging it was just to even begin the grieving process of losing a loved one because it was so chaotic, so crazy, so much media, so much going on. But would you share with us a little bit about what that process was like. How did that grieving process begin? And what was it ultimately that helped not only you, but your entire family through this terrible situation and terrible tragedy? I think uh, overall, like as, as soon as this tragedy happened, it became something that was constant, a constant thing that we lived every day because the media was all over us and my, my parents were doing interviews constantly every day for months. All media stations were reaching out to us, wanting to do interviews, wanting to know things. And Rachel's funeral was on CNN. It was the largest um, viewing they had had in history. And so it's just, it, was really, it was really difficult to actually start the grieving process because we were reliving it daily, you know. And finally, I think... The biggest thing that helps heal anybody, any family, is time. Time is the biggest healing factor. But after we started to discover some of Rachel's writings, some of her, some of the really deep things that we knew we had to share, we didn't know it beforehand. But when we started to discover these things, I think that helped us with the healing process of sharing her story. You know, as we started to share her story with people and share it with everybody, everybody, young people, old people, and we saw what it did for others, that really brought a lot of healing to our family and the grieving in between i mean there's there's nothing you can really do but just just get through it like i said it was just time that takes to to get through that and once we started to share her story and see how lives were changed and impacted by that i think that was a big factor in our healing as well that you know something came out of it this horrible day that something good was coming out of it that we can honor rachel and share her memory that brought a lot, a lot of healing as well. Wow, thanks for sharing that, Mike. That makes a ton of sense. And I think even just hearing that from you and what your family went through will help a lot of us 
with whatever life might hand us down the road. Now, millions of people throughout the entire world have heard about your sister's life, her story, her writings. So many of us have been inspired by the incredible way that she lived out life. But what was it like growing up having Rachel Scott as your sister? My sister, I mean, she was just, she was a lot of fun. She was always fun to be around. And she really was one of those people who lit up a room when she walked in. Like she had good energy around her and she brought good energy into everything and with everybody that she was with. She was always, I was, since I was the youngest, she was always looking after me. My brother, who was always bigger, stronger than me, um, you know, we would get into fights, I would get picked on, and she was always just sticking up for me. I mean, there is lots of, lots of times where, you know, she's trying to keep my brother from, you know, doing anything to me and picking on me, and she's protecting me all the time. You know, she would reach out, she would ask how things were going at school, you know, how I'm doing, what, what I'm doing, what's going on. So she was very involved. Um, there was one time in particular that I remember, it was just a sweet moment with Rachel. Um, I was outside in our backyard playing and I was laying in the grass. And when I was, especially when I was younger, I was absolutely terrified of spiders. And I, when I was laying out in the grass, I looked down on my leg, there was this huge spider on my pants and I freaked out like I just lost it and I ran inside I was screaming and crying and like my mom wasn't home I think I don't even know if anybody else was home but Rachel but she just grabbed me and she held me and she said hey it's okay everything's okay and then she just held me and kind of comforted me and it was just a really sweet time that I remember with her where she was just comforting me when I kind of lost it over a spider. <laughs> you know, that's just how she was. She was very caring, compassionate. And even though it wasn't a big deal, she, she met me at that level and was there for me. But Rachel, she was very, very sassy. She was very dramatic. I tell this story occasionally when I'm speaking to people that at that time, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have all those things. We had a one phone at home it was plugged into the wall and a lot of us had an answering machine which was a little tape recorder that could take messages if we weren't home so normally those would sound like something like hey you've reached the sky residence we're not here please leave your name number we'll get back to you well rachel that wasn't good enough for her so she hijacked our answering machine message and it sounded something like this you have reached Queen Rachel and all of my servants. And she named us all off, Bethany, Dana, Craig, and Mike. If you would like them to do anything for me, please leave your name and number, and they will get on it immediately. That was our, our answering machine message for a long time. You know, it was just fun. She was a lot of fun. So growing up with Rachel, obviously, you know, she was not perfect in every way. You know, there was fights occasionally. There was things. Rachel had a bad habit of taking people's clothes. She took my clothes and Craig's clothes and Larry's clothes and, you know, we'd be miss, I'd be missing jackets and stuff. And, you know, she was always wearing everybody else's clothes and taking things. And she was just such a wonderful, wonderful sister, wonderful, not just sister, but friend to everybody. As great as her story is, as many people as it's touched, we still wish we could have her back. We would trade it all back to have her, but since that's not possible, we are so blessed and just thankful that we can share her story. 
and give people uh, a deeper insight into themselves, a deeper awareness uh, of themselves and others and bring real connection to people. Yeah. Yeah. I think I stand along with everybody else listening, everybody that's ever experienced or seen anything to do with Rachel's challenge and Rachel Scott. I think we all share that same sentiment that we would much rather that she still be here with you, her family and with her friends and, and loved ones. Now, such an interesting thing I can imagine that you got to experience because you went through this intense grieving process, losing your sister, going through the media circus and just the craziness that ensued afterwards. And then suddenly you start learning more about Rachel's writings, about her story, about people that she affected. What was that like? as what we now know as Rachel's challenge started to unfold in front of you. Yeah, we didn't know about a lot of her writings, a lot of the things that, you know, there was in her personal journals, and even a lot of the stories of the people that she reached out to and touched, we didn't have any idea about, you know, until we started finding those journals and reading them and seeing the things that she did and the things that she saw and believed and wanted to do. As soon as we saw those things and saw the people that she had reached out to, we knew we had to share her story. There wasn't really an option at that point anymore. Uh, my dad quit his job to start sharing her story. There was also a big demand that people wanted to hear more about you know, the victims and their stories. And so for a long time, both of my parents were speaking to just huge crowds of people and sharing about Columbine, sharing about Rachel and the things that she did and believed. It was a shock to us, some of the things that we saw in her journals, because it was not things that a lot of us were aware of. It, some of it was kind of unbelievable. And so as we started to share more and more and learn more and more about some of the things that she had written down, um, we saw how it affected people, people who were deeply changed at a heart level. And um, we saw that it also was healing for other people who had faced tragedy as well as it brought a lot of forgiveness in people's lives that didn't happen before. My parents have always spoken from the beginning when they started doing interviews that they were going to choose to forgive the shooters for what they did in taking our sister and uh, their daughter and so our whole family chose forgiveness. And that itself is huge in the healing process to let go and to move on and to overcome. But it also would definitely affect other people when they heard that. They chose forgiveness as well for things in their lives. And I mean, it's such a huge part of who we are, who Rachel was and what we do. And we just see it bringing people together, uniting people, connecting people. It's really a beautiful thing when we can give that to somebody. I believe it's about 28 million people that we spoke to in live settings, somewhere somewhere in there. And I mean, we get emails, letters from young people, old people, like just saying how much it affected their lives, that they are now reunited with their father, that they have chosen life over death, that they weren't going to commit suicide, and just so many incredible stories that um, they just bring hope and life and light to so many people. I mean, it's, it's really incredible to see what Rachel through her writings, what she has done, and even after her death, how, how her legacy has lived on. Yeah, that's so true. So absolutely true. Now, I was thinking about this, Mike, and, you know, going through a situation like this, 
Nobody would have faulted you or any of your family members, brothers, sisters. Nobody would have faulted you if you'd have just gotten through this, grieved for the loss of your sister, and then moved on with your life. But you, along with your entire family, really chose a different path to go. And you specifically have decided to dedicate your life to your sister's story and legacy because you are on staff in your career and your passion right now, and I'm sure for the foreseeable future, is with Rachel's challenge. How did that all come to be? Well, uh, honestly, at first it was something where I kind of ignored for a while. Like my, my whole family was pretty much involved except for me. And I was the youngest. So I couldn't be involved in a lot of things to some extent. But still, I wanted to kind of forget. And this was a lot of people, especially in the whole Columbine area. I mean, afterwards, it seemed like they didn't want this stain to affect their lives forever. And it's almost like they wanted to sweep it under the rug. And me being young and not knowing how to process everything and not being fully developed myself, I kind of took that route as well. I wanted to kind of forget. I ended up spending a lot of time with my friends for many years and just I wasn't with my family as much. Eventually, when I fully saw what Rachel and her message, what it was doing for people. I started to see how this affected people. And it, it really affected my life and my beliefs and the things that I want from my own life. So when I really started to comprehend that th those things and live by my standards and my morals and saw how they matched up with Rachel's, like I realized that I wanted to be a part. And I was a speaker for Rachel's Challenge in 2010 for, for a season. And it was incredible, but it was very, very difficult. That was the first time I was sharing my sister's story, but I knew I saw how impacting it was and how meaningful it was and that how needed it was. And so I ended up working in the office full time in 2011 and I've been doing that ever since. And the, the longer I've done it, the more deeper of a meaning it has for me. Just why? We need it so much, and my why is, is sharing Rachel's story with as many people as possible because it brings true, as I've said before, connection, healing, forgiveness in people's lives, and it is more needed now than ever. And it's, it seems like it's like that every year. Like every year, it's more needed than ever. It's more needed than ever. So that is our goal: is just to reach as many people as we possibly can with her, with her story, her message. Mike, we know that Rachel's story is unbelievably powerful. Anybody who has heard it, anybody who has encountered it will speak to that and speak to how it has affected their life. And you alluded to this a little bit already, but do you mind sharing how Rachel's life, her story, and her legacy have directly impacted and affected you? Being a part of my sister's challenge, I mean... It's changed my life in so many ways. I feel like, you know, the things that really matter in life are the things that we touch on with Rachel's story. It brings a deeper awareness to people of themselves and of others. And the more that we go into that and go deeper into that and try to give it to other people, that gift, it's been also given to us. So I feel I have a deeper awareness of myself. I have a deeper awareness of people around me, empathy and compassion. The sympathy for others, you know, uh, being kind and compassionate to other people, regardless of how they treat you or 
you know, um, reaching out to people that normally you wouldn't. Those are things that are now convictions of mine that, you know, I need to help where I'm needed, where I can be a help. I need to be a light where there is darkness. And I think that's true of everybody who works with us and everybody we share the story with. For me, it has brought deeper conviction. It has brought a deeper awareness and it has brought deeper meaning in my path, in my career. You know, career is a strange word for me because I'm just sharing my sister's story, which we're passionate about. And so it's, um, it's more of just a passion. And uh, it's something that I know Personally, I know what I'm going to do with my life. I have my purpose, and that is to share Rachel's story. You know, a lot of people don't have that, so I feel very grateful, very grateful for that. You'd mentioned earlier that every year Rachel's challenge and Rachel's story is more important than the last because there's more things that are going on in our world, more need for this message of kindness and compassion and empathy in our world. And it's safe to say that this has been quite a year there's been so much that has gone on this year so can you share with us through the lens of being rachel's brother through the lens of working for rachel's challenge the hope that you see for the future of our schools and our world as a whole well we do live in crazy times especially right now um you know and people are more disconnected than ever you know, uh, everybody's quarantining and, and everybody's been, uh, you know, just the schools aren't even fully open. Uh, some are. And, you know, we, we just we're really hoping that we don't lose that humanity, the human touch between each other, like digital media, all that stuff. Everything, our phones have so affected us and actually disconnected us from people more and more and more and so we want to bring that back where we do we can sit down with each other and really know each other and really just feel what each other's going through and help each other and connect with people and build relationships and going forward i see rachel's challenge and our goal as bringing more connection more unity all those things i've mentioned to play a part in that with forgiveness and healing and being kind and compassionate to others like that all plays a part in building a culture where we are more unified than ever and we can relate to each other. And right now, especially in this country, we see how divided things are and how divided people are. And that is, I mean, that's what we're trying to overcome and trying to break that division and bring unity to others and, and peace and, and joy and love and everything that is you know, beautiful and good, we want that in our school culture. We don't want to see any more school shootings. We don't want to see bullying. We don't want to see you know any of that stuff. We want people to be aware of themselves, aware of other people, and reach out as we go forward. We want to reach people as deeply as we can at the heart level where there is true change. Open that up so that people can really, really connect at a deeper level and be there for each other. Special thanks to Rachel's brother, Michael Scott, for being our guest on this week's show. If you want to support this show, please subscribe to it, give it a five-star rating, and write a review. For more information on Rachel's Challenge, go to rachelschallenge.org. And of course, accept Rachel's Challenge 
to look for the best in others, to dream big, be a positive influence, speak and act with kindness, and start your own chain reaction.